Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Catherine. And welcome to episode four of The Running. Today we will be having a look back at what happened, has happened so far at Jaywalk over the sprint and long distance. Um, having a look at the WOC selection races, which happened in Norway last weekend. And we've also got an interview with Alice Leake, British sprint star who was eighth at WOC 2018 in Latvia last year. And then finally, at the end of the episode, we'll be having a look at what's coming up over the rest of the season and a little bit about how you can get involved in helping Team GB this summer. But the big change that people might have noticed, first of all, this episode, Catherine, is that we've got some music. Yay! Um, I've um, commissioned some music from my friend uh, Jorge Marcos Fernandez, and he's very kindly um, composed this music for us. So we sound like a proper podcast! Yay! <laughs> um, yeah, so thanks a lot to him for, for doing the music. There's, there's only one place to start this week, and it is with the Junior World Championships. Will. Junior World Championships is... Five races over six days. Um, this year it's in Denmark, so it's for anyone aged um, 17 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, you can obviously be younger than that to be selected, but generally it's it's age groups of 18 and 20. And it includes sprint, long, and there's then the rest day this year before a middle qualifier, middle final, and then the relay. Uh, each mm. nation can have up to six athletes in each discipline and then you've got two teams per country in the relay um, and this year the Brits have been doing pretty well it's been led by Grace Malloy who's got two medals thus far one in the sprint and one in the long distance we'll start with the sprint that was the first race up so um, we'll kick off with the women's it was won by Ellen Gemperle from Switzerland um, and Grace took a bronze medal just 14 seconds down made a small mistake on the first control but yeah pretty pretty resounding performance there i think scotland's first medal in 15 years maybe yeah i think that's the stat that's being bashed around on twitter yeah Yeah. (laughs) fantastic fantastic performance as well like being a very promising junior for a long time so really really great to see her take take two medals already in this competition yeah it's fantastic And, and she was followed in ninth place by fiona bunn just 34 seconds back was leading up to the 14th control, just had a couple to go and then lost 42 seconds on the 15th. So a real shame to her that she probably could have, maybe should have got that medal. And I imagine she, I mean, she'll be really stoked for Grace uh, for getting one. I know the the guys in that team, they're all really close. They go mm. together, um, a lot of them up in Edinburgh. And they're all really good friends. So they'll be, she'll obviously be very pleased to Grace, but maybe a, a twinge of disappointment for her in her last Jaywalk that she uh, she didn't get a medal. Especially as, so Fiona's a second year W20 and Grace is a first year W20. And like over the JK and the British, we've really seen it be a fight between the two of them um, for who's going to take um, the W20 titles. Yeah, they're close all year and then Gracious Pipster at the uh, at the last at Jaywalk, but um, fantastic running by both girls, and, and they were followed up by Hayley Campbell in thirty third, Laura King forty first, Megan Keith in eighty third, and Neve Hunter in ninety first. So, you know, a couple of solid packings inside the top fifty for Hayley and Laura as well. Mm-hmm. And then in the men's race, it was won by Aston Key of Australia. You no, know, obviously learned everything from when I lived with him down in Melbourne. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to claim no credit there whatsoever. Aston is an incredibly talented junior. He's a first year 20 now, so he's got another year next year, just like Grace. He's been living in Turku since he came over to Europe in, in March. He's been on a few um, training camps with myself and Pete Hodgkinson as well, um, and other, other members of the British and Australian teams who live over in Europe. And he's just going from strength to strength every year. Last year, he was incredibly disappointed not to get a medal. He, he was kind of, I, I felt he was good enough to get one last year, and mm. he did as well. Um, and for him to come back this year, you know, get a pretty resounding win by 40, by 13 seconds. It's great. He's he trained so hard this year to get it, and I, I was just over the moon for him when I, when I found out on, on Sunday that he'd won after what was a relatively disappointing race for me. So that, that picked me up on on Sunday. Uh, and then the Brits, first first man in was Eddie Narbutt, 27th. Alistair Thomas was in 35th. Peter Malloy, Grace's brother, 63rd. And Freddie Carcass and Zach Hudd in equal 66. I think the GB guys, they're all quick. You know, Eddie and Freddie are, are really fast guys. Eddie, and um, so Freddie competes in the same cross country league as me, in the mm-hmm. Birmingham cross country league. And yeah, he always nips me by a couple of places. He's in the top 10 and it's a league that's won by, um, you know, GB international runners who, who race at Sterling International and at the Eurocross. So he's really talented at the running and I think he would be quite disappointed to that. The area is relatively similar to what British volunteers might have faced at Sprint Southern Scotland, mm. you know, mm. um, really tricky housing estates, lots of hedges, lots of alleyways that you've got to kind of cut your diagonal lines through to find the fastest route. So I think it was really well suited to, to Freddie. But yeah, I, I shame for him that he was a bit down on probably what he expected and, and maybe the rest of the GB boys would have expected more as well. Yeah, some disappointment, but I think uh, it's important to remember that there are over 160 competitors in the, in the men's class anyway. So, uh, and, and teams have, you know, there are big teams with six athletes, you know, in the men's, six athletes in the women's for each nation. So there's, there is a big field. I think everyone's raising their game at the Junior World Champs year on year. It just seems to be that everyone going there is training harder than the year before. And certainly, I look back to when I was at the Junior Worlds in 2013, they're training a lot harder than I did where, <laughs> where I went. So they're really talented and these, these guys have stepped up to senior class well, I think. Fantastic. Uh, and the the long distance, tell us a bit about the long distance. Quite an interesting one, this. I think it's suited the Brits really quite well. So Denmark terrain is, is relatively similar to what um, we faced at the J, JK Middle this mm. year and last year in Canic Chase as well. That kind of spur gully terrain, rolling hills, you know, constantly up and down, but really quite quick forest. Mm. It's rotty in the green when it is green, but in the white, it's pretty fast. Um, so I think it suited, suited the British runners quite well. And we saw that from the pre-J what camp they went on. There were some top results for, for Grace and for Freddie there. Um, and Grace, again, you know, a fantastic result. A bronze in the long distance, just 31 seconds behind the joint winners. Ida Harpala of Finland and Veronica Kalina of uh, Russia, who is my clubmate at IFK Liedinger. Um, and Grace, you know, fantastic run. The, the long distance at Jaywalk's always, it's always tough. It's always pretty grim. You know, it's a long start list. You've got, mm. as you say, 160 people starting at three minute gap. You start <laughs> quarantine at nine in the morning and, and you might not race until two o'clock. So it's a big mental battle as well. 
and mm. come so close to a gold medal and get a bronze is fantastic. It's so impressive with the the long distance. It was really tough up and down and like it, tricky route choices and everything. Grace's bronze, uh, 31 seconds behind those joint winners is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And again, Fiona Bunn, I guess she'll be a bit disappointed. She was leading at one stage, but made a three minutes mistake coming into the fire lead that they had to split mm. up the runners. Ended up 24, you know, 5.45 down. I guess after that mistake, her head might have dropped a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of and tailed off a bit towards the end. So I guess frustration, frustrating again for her that she was in the shout for medal and obviously more than fit enough to get one. Mm. But you know, good signs mm. for the relay later in the week that the Absolutely. Viva girls could have a really good shot getting medal. Absolutely. Uh, and then we also had Megan Keith in 60th, Neve Hunter in 70th, and Ailey Campbell in 74th. Mm. Uh, what about the, the men's? So Eddie Narbutt led the uh, led the Brits home in 16th, but it was won by Casper Fosser of Norway, defending his title from last year, winning by over three minutes. Very impressive. Casper's been running for the Norwegian national team at mm. the senior level this year at World Cup already. And has been selected for WOC as well. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't realise that. I so, think he's been selected for walk. Yes. Oh man. Well. Yeah. So, I mean, a walk level athlete running jail and winning is, you know, it's pretty yeah. impressive. It says it all really. It's yeah. hard to see him getting beaten. Aston Key was in third place again. Mm-hmm. I think Eddie, you know, a top twenty in the long distance is really respectable. Finley Todd thirty seconds. Alison Thomas thirty third. You know, they're holding their own if they're in the if they're in the top fifty. I guess uh, they'll all be looking for those top 20s, really. That's what the guys expect from themselves, or or that's generally the aim that they, they put on the, uh, the class beforehand. But, yeah, uh, Peter Malloy, you know, first jaywalk, 43rd place, really great result from him in the long distance. You know, you'd, you'd think that maybe he wouldn't have that endurance quite yet compared to the other boys, but you know, holding his own out there is really good to see. Yeah, and he's, he's the youngest as well. Mm. And then uh, this morning we had qualification for the middle and you said um, it reminded you of the terrain at the JK. And yeah, uh, I, I saw the map, I was like, it's Wimmill Hill. It's yeah. just, it just looks the same. Um, I mean, maybe slightly different vegetation, but yeah, it just looks really, really similar. And I mean, that was used as a selection race. So, I mean, good accidental planning coincidental <laughs> i don't know some, something something happened there um to make yeah. to make it like that but yeah i just saw the map i was like oh i have a swear i've run there anyway yeah, i mean it's um, brilliant for the juniors and uh, obviously we can't find that much related to scandinavia for the seniors having a world cup in finland uh, yeah but i mean danish out, terrain but... danish terrain is quite different to a lot of the rest of scandinavia to yeah, be fair. yeah but uh Look very fast actually, and we had yeah. five out of the team of twelve through to the A final. Yeah. Um, Fiona Bunn and Grace Molloy actually raced in the same heat, and they finished uh, first. So Fiona was first, and Grace was third. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those two—they're just on fire, aren't they? The mm. middle qualifier is always the most stressful race of the week because obviously it's the the one thing that can cost you racing head to head for a medal, and mm. it's amazing the amount of time people mess it up. So I remember my one in 2013, I smashed my compass at halfway and it really kind of threw me off and I missed out by 20 seconds or something. Aww. But the amount of people that do, it's just amazing and, and you get big names in the out. So it's all about just putting yourself in the place where you can do a stable race. You know, it's what we say before the big relays in Scandinavia all the time. You know, you just do your average and don't mm. mess up and you'll mm. come in with the result you need. 
Fiona and Grace in first and third. Let's see if they can get a uh, a podium um, yeah. uh, tomorrow in the in the final. Because I think it's on. I think you know, it's on for one of them to get one. Um, yeah. Out of Thomas, sixth place for the men as well. You know, top ten could be on the card for him if he if he races well in the in the final. Yep, and then also qualified, we had Ailey Campbell in 14th and Freddie Carcass in 18th. We had the t- so it's top 20 from each of the three heats mm. to qualify. A few just missing out, Megan Keith in 23rd, Zach Huss 24th, Eddie Narbutt's 25th. I guarantee they'll, they'll hurt when they're going down the running. If they've started late in the block or in the middle, they're, they're the, oh, this is going to be close, you know, they're coming in for maybe 12th spot or something like that. If they're in the middle of the heat, you know, if you're thinking, oh, you know, is that enough? Is it? And they've got a horrible kind of hour-long wait to see if they're going to make it and just maybe the final three people from Megan would have knocked her out and it's mm. not not a nice place to be because you're waiting around for ages and then you find out that you've, you've been binned out. Some of the other heat winners include Casper Fosser, Aston Key, mm-hmm. Thurin uh, Tarana Erdem as well, a Dane, uh, winning by some like pretty impressive margins. Uh, also, Teresa Janosikova, a Czech athlete, won by her heat by 42 seconds. Uh, she's a really great Czech athlete who's been in the, the Senior World Champs team for a couple of years. She's yet to win a medal this year. I think she could be a real threat um, mm. in the middle final. Of course, I think by the time you're listening to this, uh, the jaywalk will probably be over. Um, so we're, we're recording this on the evening after the middle qualification so we can do all our speculation and then by the time you listen to this you'll find out whether um whether we've been accurate or not hello editing Catherine here um you will have gathered that we were recording this podcast in between the middle qualification and the middle final but i've been doing all the editing whilst keeping a really close eye on all the gps tracking all the live results for jaywalk and can say that fiona bunn has won the silver medal in today's middle final absolutely fantastic run from her the tracking makes it look like she had a really really solid race really clean race when a lot of the the top women were making mistakes out there so it's been a long time coming for fiona really really well deserved and um on the red line i've tweeted a top quality stats which is they think Fiona's medal and the two that Grace Malloy's won equals the number of GB medals that they've won in the last 29 previous junior world championships fantastic result um, from both of the girls there Um, really really incredible stuff especially Fiona coming so close to medals um, in the in the previous races previous jaywalks as well really managed to put it together um in today's run and then they you know they go on to the relay tomorrow let's see what they can do there with those three medals between them it's going to be a tough one but um yeah you never know what's going to happen out in that terrain uh so best of luck best of luck for the relay okay well we'll move on as we think about the walk test races and who's going to be selected uh, mm. The selectors are meeting this weekend in person to chat about who's going to get selected and then that'll be announced early to the athletes first and then to the rest of us early next week. And um, we'll remind us first of all what places are up for selection, how many people, how many spots have we got? So for the long distance with no qualification 
this year. So we are in the second division for both the men and for the women. So we have two spots for both men and women. There's no pre-selection for either of those as yet. In the middle distance, we have a qualification race coming back in this year. It's been out for a few years now to mm-hmm. cut down on the amount of time or the amount of races that athletes have to do over the week. So it's back in this year, which means everyone gets three spots. For the men, we've already got Ralph Street pre-selected from about April this year. So he's been building up specifically that race from April. And then on the women's side, there's no pre-selection. So it's all open for, for the women in both disciplines. And then they'll select the relays as well. One relay team for the men, one for the women. Relay each as standard. And uh, they'll pick that based off the results of the test races and then any no form from the year. So other relays that have occurred, you know, strength of the runners, what legs they might choose to put people on, what tactics they're thinking of as well. Um, so the walk test races were uh, took place on Friday and Sunday over in Norway near Halden. Will, tell us a bit about the long distance first of all. Oh, well, right. So, uh, yeah, Friday afternoon evening was the long distance. So the first start was at half past two in the afternoon. The Brits were off in the last block. Mm. Uh, I was the, well, Alan Cherry was the first one out at half past two. He had a, he he had a, wedding, he had a wedding to get to. Oh, so, okay, that was, that was why. Yeah, so... I was a bit confused about that, okay. The rest of us, I was first out into the forest at um, 25 to 6. Um, the last start was Duncan Coombs at, at half past 6. It's pretty weird, really, starting a long distance mm. that late in the day. It, it's kind of an odd one to work around for. And finishing at 8 in the evening, just as the sun started to go down, it was a very surreal feeling. But it's quite common in Norway to have Friday afternoon evening races in the summer. Mm-hmm. according to the, to the guys that live out there. So you started off with that one. It's pretty physical, as people might expect from the terrain around where we were in south, south of Oslo near Halden, right on the Swedish border. Um, you know, really tussocky marshes. Like, although it's been quite dry out there, they're still you know, pretty boggy. Very high bilberries. that came up to kind of halfway up the calf, your knee. Heather mm-hmm. as well. So really physical terrain when you were in it. The course itself it had quite a lot of, of route choice options, which included tracks, so you could cut down on the amount of time spent in terrain, which certainly people were doing early on to try and save their legs for the latter half of the course. For the men, we were faced with 13.7 kilometres, winning time of nine, just under 19 minutes um, mm-hmm. on our course for Olaf Lundinez. You know, and that's it all I think. You know, at the JK, we had 19k, and the winning time was 19 minutes. Here it was mm. 13. So it's incredibly physical, physical terrain out there, and it just completely blows the doors off by the time you finish. Yeah, it's. I mean, you you can really tell by the the spread of the times and. Um... Concerned to the results, Graham Gristwood was the best of the Brits. He was in the 13th with a time of just over 100 minutes. So, mm. you know, really tough day in the forest. Hector was the next Brit in 15th. Um, Sasha Checklin was in 21st. And Will, you were in 26th as the fourth Brit. A lot of the British guys travelled over there um, for the test races. I'm sure that made it quite nervy. Yeah, it was quite a nice atmosphere, actually, with everybody out there. Not like a, it didn't feel like a holiday, but it was almost kind of, you know, a nice trip away with people doing some good races. So you knew that mm. the race was going to be really high quality and it was going to be really well, I guess, fun once you'd finished it. <laughs> I don't know how fun <laughs> it was when you were doing it. Um, 
But I think yeah, we're all over there, and we're all we all know we're after the same thing. So no one's mm. really trying to do one over on anyone else. But you, you do try and stay in your little bubble a bit, and and you know you're out there in a kind of selfish way as well. So mm. yeah, you're, you're trying to get everything out of it that you are looking to get out of it. So quite like the fact that I was starting first, and I had a pretty clear forest because the the Finnish uh, national team that was starting in front of me, half of them dropped out. And, some of them were only doing certain sections of it hard. So, yeah, I, I didn't really have anyone out there in front of me in the forest that I could that I could use or that I could, or that I could think about catching. So it was pretty clear-headed for me that I was just going out there for, you know, 145 minutes of, of just long orienteering. But uh, I guess it's easy once you head off to start first because you're just out there and you're doing it. If you're waiting around for ages for everyone else to start, then, yeah, it gets a bit, gets a bit nervous the we'll, we'll talk a bit more about predictions later and on the women's um then the Hayu won uh the women's race it was actually we should say there were like two men's courses and two women's courses uh and loads of different nations were using it as their selection mm. races so like the swiss team were there the swedish team were there like loads of german team the, the, the finnish team were there loads of different ones so i think there's basically two courses to make sure you didn't um, there wasn't just a really, really long start list. Yeah. Uh, and you guys were put with all the Norwegians and the Finns. In terms of the women's course, uh, Jo Shepherd was the best of the Brits. She was in eighth place. Her time was one hour 24. Uh, Charlotte Watson was in 10th place, the second best Brit. Megan Carter-Davies was in 15th place, third best Brit. And Cecilia Anderson was in fourth. Uh, Kat Taylor was also there. So we had five British women out uh, vying for selection. She looked like she had a bit of a mare. She retired at the spectator run through. Uh, I think a couple of controls before the spectator, she did, she made a big mistake and then just thought, I, I think she thought she, she'd blown her chances of getting selected for that one anyway. So decided to finish and gather her thoughts and regroup for the middle race. Yeah, precisely. Um, so it's obviously really good to see um, Joe and Charlotte Mm-hmm. You know, performing well against the Norwegians. They were mm-hmm. they were in there amongst the Norwegian team, which I think as a guide group we didn't really manage to do in the long. Um, they've obviously been living out in Norway um, over the last year or so, so they're pretty familiar with this terrain now. Go you know, is her local terrain living in Halden as she does. And it's great that they're performing you know, in and amongst the, the locals in that stuff. And Meg, I know she was a bit frustrated with her one. You know, thought she could have done some things differently and and the fact that she raced so well over long distances with the British mm. and the JK, she mm. she kind of expected a bit more from herself on that. So yeah. Frustrating for her and the other three cats and, and Cecilia were were kind of disappointed with theirs as well. But yeah, it's tough long distance orienteering and like you say, for Kat she I guess she kind of knew that she might not not that she knew that she'd blown her chances, but maybe that she wanted just to refocus on the middle, you know, you know, fight another day as it were. Yeah, maybe you. Th- sometimes it gets to a point where uh, it, it's kind of beyond rescuing a race, and mm. and whatever you, you, there's not much you can do, and and actually there's the, quite a high chance you make further mistakes even on the rest of the course, and sometimes it's just time to go. Okay, that's enough. Let's regroup and do something else. Yeah. Um. So, so I volunteered to do some predictions. Um, yeah, uh, Will, well Will you're understandably <laughs> passing on this as somebody who was up for selection. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so it's so tough. We'll, 
because talking about the long distances, there's only two places to go. And I'm surprised Graham Griswold was running the long distance race because I thought he was initially only going to be up for the middle distance selection. But mm. um, from like saying on Twitter that he now might get selected for the long distance. So like, I think... I think unfortunately I have to go with the well for you Will sorry yeah. I, I have to go with the top two Graham Griswold and Hector Haynes to get selected on the men's race um, I think if it was three I'd have I'd have put you in there oh, probably um, but I think like Graham's experience and like Will be really good in the in the world champs he's been there so many times he knows how to deal with that and and Hector even though he didn't perform as well in the middle distance he performed really well in the the long and like there's a lot to be said for that and in the the women's I'm I too I'm really gutted we've talked a lot about Megan Carter Davies on this podcast already and how what a great spring she's had I'm really sad to see her in in third place and just outside of you know if, if, if it's like an automatic selection that she's, you know, she's outside of that spot. But I think I like Joe and Charlotte living out in Norway is such an advantage that they've been able to do that training. And I think that's really showed in this selection race mm. and Megan like working full time and not had that same opportunity um, means it, it, it's kind of, hard for me to leave her out of that, that selection but I think I'd have to go with Joe Joe Shepard and with Charlotte Watson uh, for the long distance on this one mm-hmm. yes no comment from Will no no no, <laughs> no comment from me I'm gonna no I think like you say and, and it's the same, similar with Graham and, and Hector and, and mm. Thatcher as well so mm. living out there in the Norwegian stuff is such an advantage to getting mm. physically ready for dealing with that terrain and yeah, and I think I'm the I'm the only yeah, well, I know I'm the only one in the top four of those guys who hasn't lived out in Scandinavia. So I was pleased that I could uh, compete on a relatively level playing field with those guys, and I was quite strong coming in in the last half of the race. And I find on a final one of four 20 minute long legs, um, mm. and you know, staying strong there, taking a bit of time back at that stage. So yeah, it, yeah. It, I, find it quite I think we've got to remember that we're we're selecting for a race in Norway and therefore yeah. performances at races in Norway, i.e. the test race, that's yeah. the whole point of the test they, race, um, they count for should more. be they taken to, Yeah. And, and also it's about how do you can deal with that pressure of the test race where you've got, I mean, just look at the start list, it's ridiculous. So many world championships runners in there. And, and really good world championships runners not just anybody it's really going to show who's ready for that mm. world championship performances um let's move quickly on to the middle distance race will what was what was that one like oh well, well personally or, or actually just, personally just, it was just both. <laughs> yeah so we were in um a similar section long which we kind of passed over on the mm. end of our long leg back to the arena um at the end of the long distance it was, I, I felt for a, a Norwegian, a Scandinavian middle distance, it was relatively similar to what, not as similar to what we might get in Britain. There's quite a lot less control than we normally get in the mm-hmm. middle. Normally we have about uh, 25 to 30. This is just 19. Um, but it was, it was similar, you know, lots of changes in direction, sort of long legs, you know, quite a few controls which were tucked away and you you had to get to the feature and then you know kind of 
get past it to be able to see the flag on mm-hmm. some of them. So it was, it was really quite tricky. And um, we started off straight away, you know, through some dense, you know, semi-open some green sections and some sections of a lot of hashing in. So you're thrown right into the uh, low visibility terrain first of all. And that's where I came unstuck, actually, right at the start. Mm-hmm. First control, I, I kind mm-hmm. of sort of flew it there and then had a bit of a, a mental block for the rest of the course. But I think everyone on for the Brits found it pretty tough technically. And no, I don't think anyone said they had a really clean race. I think everyone made a mistake out there. So it shows how, how technical it was in the end. I think even Ralph, who, who had a great result, um, 14th in the end, just three minutes down on, on Olav, um, who won the course for us and won it by a minute and a half. Yeah, he, he said that he was, he was quite scrappy. So, yeah, I don't think any of the Brits were clean and it was a real, you know, a, a real frustrating day, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, everyone kind of finished and just went, oh, you know, I left something out in the forest. But I mean, yeah, Ralph Street has just shown why he's got, had, has, has already been selected for the middle distance. He, he was the top Brit in 14th place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to make a prediction now. <laughs> we know he's in. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's already there, but we've got two more spots to fill. And the next Brit, um, there was Peter Hodkinson in 25th. Then it was Graham Griswood in 29th. Uh, Matt Speak in 32nd. That was really good for him to see. And mm-hmm. um, a lot more in the 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah. keeping going down down the list. Yeah, they, tough, they get to the people The women's course... And I think I read on Instagram, Cat Taylor's Instagram about, and, and actually we were talking to her about this, about how she manages to pull back races after, you know, some sort of mini catastrophe. Uh, and in this case, her mini catastrophe was was a long distance race. And she, she managed to refocus her efforts and her, you know, her mental strength. And she ended up being the best Brit. She was eighth, mm. again, mixing it in with, um, you know, the, the Finns and the Norwegians as well. Uh, so she, yeah, she was two, just over two and a half minutes down on the winner, Marianne Anderson. Uh, then we had Megan Carter-Davies in 14th place, second Brits, and Charlotte Watson in 15th place. Uh, Joe Shepard was down in 32nd and Cecilia Anderson in 45th. Great from Kat that she bounced back from the disappointment the longer. Like you said, at, at Tesfrost, it's always a bit weird because if you if you mess up that first one, you've only got two, two shots of it. A bit mm. different to the JK where you've got three races and you know that maybe there's, a, there's some more races later in the year that you can get mm. picked for the races for. Yeah, Meg um, back in the top two. I think, again, she was a bit disappointed with a bit like guys, a bit of a scrappy run. Charlotte as well, mm. you know, not as clean as, as maybe she could have been. But, you know, again, top 20s, they're beating a load of the Norwegians in the home stuff. So it bodes well, I think, for, for what? Yeah, so I think that makes my predictions for selections a lot easier on the women's side of things. Where so we've got three spots for the middle. So, uh, Kat, Megan, and Charlotte, I think, are gonna uh, my bet for getting selected there. Uh, in the men's, there's only two spots available. It's other men's. I find it so tricky because some people who've had really good like. Um, Springs, for example, like Alistair McLeod winning the, um, you know, like the British long distance championships. He didn't have such a great um, set of races, but uh, like I think this Norwegian terrain counts for so much. So mm. I think maybe P. 
Peter Hawkinson and Graham Gresswood will get those other two spots. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't know. It's this one's much more difficult, I think. Yeah, I, I don't have the reflectors and what I have to do at the weekend, but yeah, they're, no. they're, they're your predictions. This is just very light-hearted and humorous speculation. Yeah. <laughs> um okay well we're gonna find out at the beginning of next week so um genuinely best of luck to everyone who got selected and commiserations to those who won't get selected um and you know there's still lots more opportunities and these are selection measures for other stuff later in the year as well so yeah. world cups in switzerland and china later in the year in the autumn and for um euro meeting and things like that so Lots of other opportunities for anyone who didn't make it. And I guess if you don't make it, then you know, you've just got to be happy that people from your own country are, are just as fit or, or fitter than you and are going to go and do their best um, yeah. against everyone else. So, yeah, I don't think anyone who isn't selected is going to wish anyone ill will for the championship. We'll all be behind everyone else who makes it to exactly that's a great team spirit that we like to hear about um let's move on quickly talk about the jok chasing sprint that was held in falkirk um if you haven't seen the adventure show production of it please do go and have a watch um i was in the commentary seat once again also did a little bit of an interview at the beginning it was a very very different to any sort of production i've worked on normally i kind of like get there on the day rock up like pre-run the course and then probably find out where the radio and the tv controls are like during the production <laughs> this one i turned up i had to get there the day before and we had a meeting and like met the presenters went through everything took some photos and then the broadcast was at 7 p.m i was there at like 8 30 in the morning and oh, we were God. like busy pretty much the whole day filming other bits rehearsals whole like script running order run through and everything and i'm just used to like you know just talking to nobody <laughs> commentary like it's just orienteering the whole time mm. but for this we had like presenter bits like interviews vts that they'd already recorded so many different parts of the puzzle and the jigsaw that it was like very very different and it was the first time the adventure show had been live so half the people were like super chill they've been live before and like half the people were really actually quite nervous and quite anxious because they'd like not done live before and it, there were loads of people around there were, like floor managers and runners and all sorts and yeah it was sounds more special than racing yeah, well, yeah, it was kind of, there were just people everywhere and like this big thing and they, you know, they don't know. I mean, I'm used to working with directors and, and people who, who actually now know orienteering quite well. And this was a team that didn't really know the ins and outs of orienteering, you know, to, to the same extent that I'm used to. So that was also like quite interesting. And I think it was good that I was like, you know, they, there were lots of people at orienteers around that they could collaborate with and get advice from. Um, but I, you know, I think it turned out quite well. There's like, there's always improvements that can be made, but I think generally the feeling that I was left with at the end of commentating was what a great portrayal of our sport. You know, this is a sport that I absolutely love and I really want the essence of the sport to be portrayed well and also for, you know, people to get inspired by watching races like this and, and you know, take part in our great sport. Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, it was fantastic watching it. And the women's race was won by Grace Malloy, so mm -hmm. building into her J-Walk really nicely. 
Yeah. That was pretty do- pretty dominant both by her. Yeah, um, she did make she did make a couple of small mistakes at the end, and the, the others were kind of catching her back up. But yeah, she she put in a really great performance. Yeah, and then the men's race was won by Chris Jones, who's making yeah. one of two orienteering appearances so far this year. So yeah, uh, I think it's like his third race since the World Championships or something ridiculous. Yeah, um, um, so he managed to outsprint Peter Hodgkinson and Scott Fraser. So you know, really tight finish between those guys. And, um, yeah. yeah, good to see that Chris hasn't hasn't forgotten about this. And I think he's <laughs> he said to me that he he wants to go and do um, Swiss World Cup later in the year. Um, I guess this has made him slightly hungrier for it now. You know, coming back into the uh, into the racing yeah. world again. Yeah, I think he didn't really hadn't really realised how much he'd missed the orienteering and how much he really enjoyed the orienteering. And I think it actually both his performance and how he felt about the race really surprised him. So yeah, mm. hopefully we'll see him in Switzerland uh, later on this year. Yeah. And I mean, this is an incredibly fun format as well, pushing yeah. star racing, which I think we're going to start seeing more and more of on the yeah. international calendar with pursuit racing in the long cup uh, in the World Cup, like we had uh, in Finland this summer, um, and we've got the knockout sprinting coming for for world champs next mm. year mm. with the sprint distance. So I, I think hopefully, and hopefully uh, for me, because I really enjoy the style of racing, mm. we'll get to see mm. more of this on the British calendar because it's fantastic. Yeah, and everyone was actually really positive about the the race and about their their experiences orienteering because you know some people can say oh it's not proper orienteering you're just following the person ahead but I think everybody who was uh, actually racing out there like really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the format and mm. um, the those those tight finishes and actually yeah we were treated with pretty tight races in yeah. in every single race with people making mistakes and I think that is also partly to do with some really good planning. Yeah, and you can see people were making mistakes and people were getting ahead of them. So it wasn't just everyone following the leader. People were make, mm. actively choosing their own routes to get ahead of other people when they're making mistakes. So I think if you set the courses in the right way, people won't just follow everyone else because you've got to look for the opportunity to get away from people. Yeah, so Pete Malloy uh, won the men's junior race, again, ahead of his uh, trip to Denmark for Jaywalk, and Pippa Carcass won the women's junior race. She actually caught up a couple of places. Um, her really, you know, fast running speed really paid off for her um, in that race as well. Yeah, no, great. And uh, obviously Pippa, the um, sister of uh, Freddie and Alex Carcass, so two guys that have done very well at Jaywalk in the past and currently so yeah we'll see what she can do in the future absolutely well we're gonna chat a little bit more about uh, world championships and particularly the orienteering foundation uh, in a little bit but first of all we're gonna hear from alice leak one of the stars of british sprint orienteering Okay, so we're joined um, by Alice Leek, and um, as one of the reasons we're talking to you this week in particular, of course we want to talk to you anyway, but it's because a lot of the uh, British athletes are nervously waiting to find out if they've been selected for the World Champs, but um, as you've focused on the sprint, this isn't the case for you, so if you've not, you're not waiting for World Champs selections, what does your year mean instead? What are you doing this year? Yeah, so... Um... As, I guess as most people know, the World Sprint Champs is not happening this year. Um, so I'm having a little bit of a break from international orienteering. Um, I'd kind of had this plan that I was going to focus on my sort of track and road running, try and get some PBs, get really fast. Um, and then unfortunately got injured over the winter. So I'm playing 
a little bit of catch up at the moment. So currently just having a bit of fun doing some kind of long distance racing at the moment. So things that when I'm focusing on sprint, I kind of never get the opportunity to do. So some hill running, half marathons, kind of all sorts of just fun races, really. Um, with the aim of yeah coming back to sprint from kind of the autumn onwards hopefully. Yeah, and did you did you do do you a couple of races this weekend? Um, yeah, I yeah I did a a ten k. I've done a ten mile race. Just there's a lot of different um sort of local ones that happen around Leeds. I'm quite spoilt really with the amount that goes on here. And normally when you're focusing on a selection race and world champs and it it kind of doesn't fit into the plan and you don't get to do those so yeah it's quite nice just running for for the club and trying to win some of those local races <laughs> that's great and you are doing and what like what do you like you said these races are kind of you know it's an opportunity to do these races that you wouldn't normally do in a in a sprint year uh, what do you particularly enjoy about them um I guess I just I love running so um but they're just a little bit longer than what I would normally do so when you know when you're sprinting you're having to do like 3k 5k type races and Mm. these are sort of 10k and upwards and I guess it's a bit less pressure as well it's not that thing of like I need to be hitting this certain time I need to be running a PB because I need that to feel confident going into world champs it's it kind of it doesn't really matter it's quite nice just having those little inter-club battles and trying to beat your friends and, you know, just kind of keeping fit and getting fit, but through that kind of chilled out racing. Yeah, nice healthy competition. What do you think you are like learn from these kinds of races that you can take into take into orienteering? It's it's kind of that learning to to hurt in a way, if that makes sense. So learning to to push yourself and that I guess when you're in a running race, you're running faster than you would be in orienteering. So it's that sort of confidence that I can maintain this speed. And then when you go into orienteering, you don't have to think about that physical element. It just kind of happens naturally. So yeah, just learning to learning to hurt, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> that, like, I, I know I can yourself. do that. Yeah, I know I can yeah. do it. And um, you know, I'm I'm not going to die, and it's fine. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's a real key mental component of orienteering maybe sometimes people let slip by the wayside if they just do navigation training. I think it's a big strength of the Brits that we do just go out out there and put it on the line and, and hurt ourselves against our yeah. people. We will just get beaten probably nine times out of ten. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's good. good. And I think when you're in training, you know, you, you're by yourself. It's that time trial element and it's that kind of accountability that I'm, I'm going to keep pushing and keep hurting rather than just kind of, I'll oh, just have a little break here and slow down and... Yeah, a question kind of related to that and also quite applicable when you're returning from injury, things like that. What what keeps you motivated to keep going and keep training? Um, oh, definitely the, the other girls in the British team, seeing how well they're doing. I've been following Jaywalk, you know, seeing the great <laughs> results at the, the test races that the Forest girls have been doing. Yeah, I want to be that good again and it's um it's that in you know inter-team competition I guess that you know I'm I'm inspired by that and you know I, I want to beat them and that that sort of pushes you back on that yeah do you think it's do you think it's harder with that having that year off or or better for you in terms of motivation I guess my motivation has 
waned a little bit this year, but I mean, so I was injured over the mm. the winter, and um, I think sort of in that spring period, it was quite hard to get back into things, having had kind of two months off without really doing a lot, and then you know there was nothing kind of for this summer that was sort of forcing me to get back to fitness. Um, mm. So that was quite difficult. But I think now it's it's kind of become routine again. It's almost been quite nice to have that break. Mm. And now I've, I feel like quite refreshed for that. And actually I'm almost looking ahead to next summer now. And um, yeah, and that sort of carrot dangling there is enough to, to get me back going. Um, yeah. Bit of a tangent, Alice. What were you doing um, while you were injured? What kind of training were you doing? Was it just... Uh, aqua jogging or were you doing any kind of spinning or, or cycling a lot just a lot of um kind of physio exercises I couldn't really so it was my knee so actually things like cycling was still uh, quite okay. painful so I almost just had to take kind of a chunk out and, and not really do a lot and then it was that kind of building back up so just running like once a week twice a week and then yeah cycling that really swimming, slow that build of, yeah really really slow build back up so yeah, that was quite frustrating, but um, a necessary thing that every athlete goes through at some point. And, um, yeah, you just have to be patient with it and, you know, do the strength work and you get back there. Yeah, and I think it does give you that chance that, like you say, you come out of it quite mentally fresh because you don't have the opportunity to, to race and, and really kind of blow out the cobwebs. But I think you can get that chance to work on a lot of your weaknesses as well. I think everyone says coming up a long-term injury, they they do get a lot better in certain aspects. So I imagine you've had that chance to really focus on stuff you probably wouldn't have had the time to if you were just doing your normal training program. Yeah, I think I've never really been good at doing that kind of strength and conditioning work. And I think this made me realise that actually, as boring as I find it, like, it is quite vital. <laughs> and I really do do need to work on those things if you know if I want to be to be stronger and to not get injured again. So it's mm. it is now part of my routine, but it was almost an enforced part <laughs> so Alice how did you um and why did you first decide to focus on the sprint I've loved it ever since um well when did sprint start kind of when I was about <laughs> 13 14 I guess when it sort of first came across to the UK I remember going to well my first British sprint champs in Scarborough years and years ago and I just instantly loved it <laughs> you kind of have these heroes growing up but you you never see them because they're in you know they're in the forest and then mm. all of a sudden I could be there and I could watch them running through the spectator controls and I could see them out on their courses and it was that kind of yeah just being able to be really immersed in the sport and then how did you turn that into a British team kind of you know sprint sprinting yeah when I was a junior I was never good enough to make it to jaywalk and things like that and I'd kind of you know I was quite injured a lot of the time and sort of gave up on on that dream of uh, of competing internationally and then after university I moved down to Reading for work mm-hmm. and joined Southern Navigators when I was down there Sarah Rollins and Ruth Holmes were in the club at the time and they were both members of the GB sprint team 
Um, and I was a little bit terrified of them, to be <laughs> honest. Um, you know, they asked me to join their JK relay team. I was like, oh my goodness, I am, you know, I'm going to let them down. I better start training. Um, <laughs> so that's actually what kind of kick-started me back orienteering. And, um, you know, Ruth was preparing for her 2014 World Sprint Champs. So she'd invite me along to a lot of her trainings. Um, and I just yeah just kind of go on and help her prepare for that and I guess kind of as a result of her helping me out it's just naturally got back into sprinting naturally got a bit fitter as I went I was actually very reluctant to go back into that kind of world of international orienteering so I you know I wasn't a member of um, a GB squad or anything at this point I was just Mm. kind of doing it for fun and as my hobby um and I was a bit scared that kind of if I went back into that team environment it would almost like take some of that enjoyment and hobby side of it away from me um but I had a lot of people around me who were like no like you know you're you're doing quite well like just just give it a go and sort of pushed me to go to the the selection races that year (laughs) it took a lot of persuasion to go actually it's it's kind of funny it's a bit of a life-changing moment I guess going there and um it was almost forced to go <laughs> and then um yeah ended up you know I think I came sort of fifth Brit at the JK that year and then came third in the test races mm. and, and kind of just went from yeah not even being in the squad I think I don't think I'd even made the British sprint champs final the year before and to suddenly being selected for for world champs in 2015 so it was it was quite a drastic turnaround that year yeah um, and, a, and a home uh, as well yeah and a home yeah. world champ so probably running at the deep end but um, yeah. yeah it's the best decision yeah. i ever made to go to that i think the envy of most of the british orienteering seniors at that point in time like bloody hell alice has just got made what and I, I remember being at that Kendall sprint race and i was I think I was probably nearly last, maybe, of, of the guys. And yeah, it's very impressive to see you kind of, like, come back in and, and make the team. Yeah, and I remember it was sort of your first GB squad weekend in, like, five years or something, and it was, like, pre-World Champs with, you know, the, the BBC there filming and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> well, so your best results so far comes from Wok in uh, Riga in Latvia with eighth place in the sprint. Um, t- tell, me, tell us a bit about that experience and that Wok for you. Oh, I mean, that's, yeah, it was brilliant, but um, definitely the culmination of a lot of learning and a lot of, you know, okay races maybe not that great races kind of leading up to it but definitely every single one taking something from it and building forwards what kind of particular things do you think you've learned in those those few years leading up to it so 2016 for example um I was definitely physically really fit and I think I kind of almost focused too much on that that year you know when I was racing that was kind of in the forefront of my mind like oh you know you need to push hard you know run faster up this hill and it's kind of all that like the physical running side of it was in my mind yeah I was kind of just running almost on this like knife edge that whole time and 
that one I just I tipped over and just ran too fast and Mm. didn't focus enough on the navigation and went I think I was in the top 10 at the spectator run through to kind of you know just blowing it on one big mistake and that I really learned around kind of finding where that line is and actually not trying to push over that so for me then going into 2018 world champs it was switching that focus from kind of I need to run fast to I need to read my map Mm. and really focusing in on that technical element obviously because I've been running pbs and things like that I could be confident in my physical shape so it was kind of one thing then I just I didn't need to think about anymore that was my whole thing last year was just really focusing in on that technical thing I always sort of laugh to myself and say like you know your compass is not an accessory this is this is orienteering <laughs> it is not a running race and actually you know finding the next control is the most important thing and yeah just just navigate the whole time yeah I think I remember reading in on an article you wrote for on the red line that you realized you didn't have to do anything special to perform well you just needed to put together a good race and not like go above and beyond in kind of a world championship scenario yeah I think sometimes it's that pressure and you feel like you have to you know do something amazing and it's world champs I need to perform and do something really special and you know it's just it's just a race it's the same as any other local race that you go to there's just a few more people watching like at the end of the day you're just going orienteering um yeah and I think I've kind of succumbed to that pressure in the past and and really just sort of panicked in those situations I think this was the first time I've ever felt really relaxed at an international competition and almost just took the pressure off myself and you know it it doesn't matter like if you just do a race that you're happy with like that's good enough you know like then I'll be satisfied I was never thinking like oh I need to you know be in the top 10 top 20 I need to beat this person it was just you know do a solid technically good race and that's fine I can leave satisfied with that and with that mindset did your result from Riga surprise you or did you feel just like you know confirming your approach I mean I yeah I think a top 10 hugely surprised me but sort of looking back I guess I kind of I always knew that I was capable of a result like that I just never delivered it in the past so I guess actually probably delivering on the day was not surprising because I'd worked hard for it but yeah it was was kind of like beyond anything that you dream of I guess. Did you find that when you when you did finish and kind of had time to just reflect on it that you were you found yourself thinking like okay that wasn't anything super special for, for you you know it was that controlled performance where everything you had to do you did correctly and and you were kind of just thinking okay that's it actually it's not something super special that I go and have to do but I can just do that consistently across the board yeah definitely I mean you physically peak for world champs but other than that you know that performance was no different to what I'd done at you know at Sprint Scotland or the the British champs or anything like that it was you know just I, I didn't try to start especially quickly it was just a really steady safe normal race and yeah I think it it does make you realize that you need you know you don't need to 
to try and do anything on the day just you know do what you're doing week in week out yeah i think it's it's something that comes with the the pbs and the running side of things once you break a barrier it's almost as if it's like oh that's it okay that's what i was building up to actually that it just feels quite standard now that i've done it and and i think it can be the same with positions although it's a weird sensation to say oh that position feels not not standard but like it should have happened and to explain to someone that you feel like it it should have happened and you were kind of expecting it but not really is quite a hard sensation to put across but do you think now that you're quite you're quite comfortable in maybe next year you're like right I I belong in that region of top 15 and and top 10 yeah I think I definitely have more belief in it now but then with that I guess comes that pressure element again that I almost didn't have last year which is probably why I performed quite well and it's I kind of I don't I don't want that expectation of like well I've you know I've come eight so now I need to be top six in a podium Mm. Mm. I think it's just that constant you just want to do the the best race possible you know it doesn't have to be 100% perfect but a good enough race um and yeah I'll kind of I'll be satisfied with whatever position that is like you know I, I can't affect what training anyone else is doing or how they perform on the day but if you know if I perform to the best of my ability then you know whatever result that comes with like that's fine by me yeah makes sense um so going forward presumably what 2020 and 2022 are featuring in your plans they are <laughs> if I can haul myself back to fitness but um yeah that, that is the plan yeah what 2022 is very exciting being a home world championships but I'm just kind of just focusing on next year for now and sort of one step at a time really new discipline next year so it's trying to mm. really clarify in my mind which um which of the three sprints I sort of want to focus on and then um yeah, going away and trying to work on those. Yeah. Do you have do you have any idea at this stage what you'll what you'll give a crack at? Because you've had a go at knockout before, um, at mock and and things like that, haven't you? Yeah, you and you've obviously been successful at world um world cup sprint relays. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have an inkling of if you had to choose out of three, what would you go for? What do you what do you think? You, um, but we're not asking you to commit now. Yeah, not not yeah. I'm no selection meetings tomorrow that the Catherine and me are going to have. Just fingers and ears. <laughs> oh, I mean, I would I'd love to be able to run in the in the mixed sprint relay. Like that is the dream. Um, I know for me, I need to be yeah. I need to be in a a different sort of mental mindset. I think to be able to cope with the pressure of that. I think the GB team is very strong and it comes with a lot of expectations to to be in that team and do that race um I think the knockout sprint is quite new I've only ever done two knockout sprints I think still a bit undecided about how I feel about them whether I enjoy them or not I don't know I guess at this stage I'd I'd like to have a go at doing a few more but it's it's very you know opportunities few and far between really Mm. it's learning whole new tactics a whole new way of racing it's I, I think you you can't really apply the same techniques that you use in an individual sprint to it like to me it just seems like a completely new beast really um <laughs> so just yeah trying to get my head around that a little bit and see whether we can um sort of practice that head-to-head racing in the UK at all 
yeah and then obviously I, I'd love to do the individual sprint again and, and try and build on last year yeah I'm sure we'll have some good sprint camps over the winter this year if everyone can listen in. and there's a bit of mapping work going on in the, the Midlands at the moment for uh-huh. some new sprint maps so mm-hmm. hopefully yeah we'll have a we'll have a good pocket of new areas to train on as well yeah yeah I think that is one thing just getting to new terrains that you're unfamiliar with as well I think a lot of the local ones you know, sort of trained on multiple times and it yeah. kind of loses that um that kind of technical element to it but yeah some some good head-to-head British racing would be would be brilliant yeah getting scrappy in those housing estates <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> that's great and Alice how special will 2022 be didn't you go to university in Edinburgh yeah, I am a York alumni. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for I me, can't it, resist, sorry. <laughs> Josh. Um, yeah, I think for, for me, like Edinburgh's always it's got that special place in my heart. Like I had you know brilliant four years studying there, and yeah, you know to have my first world champs was in Scotland, and to have that you know potentially a last world champs in Scotland would I just feel like it'd be a little dream or something but um yeah um, I'm excited for it fantastic uh what are you what are the rest of your plans for the rest of this year got anything um anything that you're doing particularly exciting well what am I doing Swiss orienteering week so just some fun orienteering in the mountains very nice um, always brilliant fun that yeah, yeah I'm excited for that from September onwards back into sprint land so um heading out to the Vienna Orienteering Championships. So they've got um, four sprint races in Vienna over a weekend. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah. Which I think will be really exciting and kind of kickstart myself back into into that mindset of, um, you know, identifying what things I need to work on over the winter. And then, uh, fingers crossed, uh, a World Cup would be, would be nice to go out to as well. Yeah, Fantastic. and China, aren't they? Um, yeah knockout sprint in Switzerland yes so yeah my plan is hopefully to go to the Swiss one um yeah I, I don't think I'll be going to the China one um but yeah it'd be good to to go and have a another go at a knockout sprint yeah fantastic definitely. well best of luck going forwards Alice thank you very much for chatting to us yeah thanks. thank you for having me <laughs> So that was Alice Leek there, giving you a bit of an insight into uh, her winter coming back from injury, what 2018 results from last year, fantastic, and uh, and moving ahead to sprint walk next year and walk 2022. Great insight that we have from her there. We're now going to talk briefly about the Orienteering Foundation. Um, For the last few years, the Orienteering Foundation, which is a, a charity, um, has helped support the British walk team in, in funding our our competition at WOC, you know, and allowing us to perform there as athletes and taking a massive amount of stress off us. Um, they've just set up a, a fund for this year's competition. Now, orienteering, it, it's not a sport that receives a large amount of funding anymore from central governing bodies, so us as athletes have to, you know, take a large brunt of the expenses ourselves. So. Um, these guys have been really kind in, in supporting the team over the last few years and obviously the British Orienteering Republic have, have contributed immensely to the progression of the team, senior athletes and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's been really touching to see how many people are committed 
through the ITM Foundation to helping us kind of follow our dreams in, in pursuing um, orienteering at an elite international level. Um, Catherine, do, do you want to explain a bit kind of how, how it's distributed and, and what this kind of covers? Between 2017 and 2018, you guys have already raised uh, £18,000 and that gets distributed evenly between athletes selected for the World Championships. It helps cover costs not only of actually getting to the World Championships, and which, you know, it's, it's in Norway, it's not a cheap country, mm. um, but also, uh, you know, training is so important as we've seen to be, to be training out in, in relevant terrain and just even getting to like walk to select test selection races, um, you know, the amount of training and tra- travel particularly that's required in order for you to even be considered for selection for world championships, let alone having a great performance there. Um, there really is there really is a lot um yeah will how you you maybe talk a a little bit more about like you know just how much stuff that has to be funded uh i mean most of us have to have a full-time job to be able to support us i mean this is no no one really funds us to do this unless you're you're really lucky to be one of those top few yeah and and in the right countries as well you know yeah there are a few pros but in Switzerland and Sweden and not not in the UK. And we obviously get support if we're lucky enough from our clubs and I know Octavian Drew has supported me in the past and support mm. my family and especially when you're a junior your parents support you all the way through. So my my parents support me a hell of a lot when I was when I was going through the junior ranks. But when you're a senior it's obviously a bit more of the onus on yourself and I guess with with rent and all of that the the funding from the Orientine Foundation is just immensely helpful. It, the, the training camps that we have to go on to be able to perform in the terrain, like you said earlier, Catherine, the Norwegian terrain is so physical, you've got to spend time out there, out there if you want to perform well in it. And it's a vast amount of expense. You, you couple that with races earlier in the year, for World Cups, for even, even JK mm. costs a fair bit of yeah. money nowadays. So, I mean, just the support from the Orientine Foundation really does make things so much easier for those people going to the World Champs and takes a massive burden off them and and some people write, you know, articles for them as, as recompense and and uh and try and support in any way we can back for them as well. But we we don't take it for granted the the influence that the Orientine Foundation has on our ability to race at that level. Well, yeah, you heard it from one of the British team there. I mean, it's it's so important. The O Foundation Fund doesn't just fund uh, World Championships. I think they fund also all sorts of other different projects as well. So um, it's been really, really valuable for the athletes in the last couple of uh, World Championships. So please, uh, please do dig deep and um, support support these athletes as they make their way to Norway. Personally, Matt, thank you for me for the help it's given me over my career thus far and I know a lot of the other people in the team are, are really grateful for the help they've received. Uh, next time we'll be back, we'll be uh, kind of running through whether Catherine got her predictions right for the, for the GB team for what. We'll, we'll take a look back at the final races of JWOC and look forward to the Timber Orienteering. We've got O-Ring in about six days, but in particular world champs and, and do some predictions for the race, proper predictions for the races over in, in Norway and see what what people are going to be doing out there so yeah thank, thanks very much everyone for tuning in this week i really appreciate you all tuning in you can find us on twitter at the running and on facebook as well 
and at the running pod at the running pod there we go i'll get it correct <laughs> um and yeah thank you very much for tuning in thanks Stefan. thank you see you next time